Pastor Drew a few weeks ago asked me if I'd be available to preach today, uh, and we tossed a couple of ideas back and forth, and finally he said, let's just continue our sermon series on prayer uh, for one more week. And that sounded good to me, because if you're anything like me, you, re you need reminders of primary things, those essentials of our faith. And I think we'd all agree that prayer is exactly one of those. Uh, so let's see if our PowerPoint is working. Let's put this question up. Um, prayer is fill in the blank. Uh, how would you answer that? Maybe you would say prayer is a blessing or prayer is a gift. Prayer is communication. It's a, it's a two-way conversation with God. Maybe some scripture would spring to your mind. Uh, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Uh, maybe you would think of the disciples as they watched Jesus in action praying to his father. Uh, and they were, they were drawn and they said, teach us to pray like that, Lord. Or maybe you would think of the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, and the, and the variety of prayers that we find in there. Or maybe you would answer from your own experiences with prayer, how it has brought you comfort during difficult times, uh, the encouragement that it is to pray with brothers and sisters in the Lord, or the many times you look back and say, look how God answered my prayers. Then if we're honest, we might also admit that prayer can be frustrating or mysterious sometimes. Does God really hear and answer prayer? And if he does, how do my very human requests intersect with his sovereign will? And if you've ever been through a season of struggle or difficulty, why does God sometimes seem absent during those times? Well, the good news I'd like to unpack today is God's word, yes, calls us to pray, but it is also intensely real about our struggles with prayer. And in this book, his holy word, we find people who love God and want to follow him, but struggle along the way just like we do. They face challenges and disappointments. They wrestle with the hard questions. But the key to enduring faith, according to God's word, even in our struggles, we bring it all to God in prayer. We invite him into our mess. And something powerful happens when we persist in prayer. God does a work of transformation in our hearts. So this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm 42. Uh, how blessed we are to have the Psalms in the Bible Maybe not a coincidence that they're right in the middle of God's word. Uh, they remind us to keep prayer central to our lives. And if you're like me, you have found a, a spiritual refuge in the Psalms. It's this invitation to come to God as we are in prayer. So as I read our scripture, I'm going to invite you to listen with a spirit of prayerfulness. Uh, Psalm 42, there's going to be some familiar parts in it to us, uh, but it's a very real and heartfelt prayer from someone who is being buffeted in their lives by all kinds of problems and troubles, and you'll notice that he does not sugarcoat his challenges, he brings them to God in prayer. And so Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. 
When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. The word of the Lord. Let's open up with prayer. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word to transform us, to inspire us, to convict us of our deep need for you. We're thankful for your promise that when your word goes out, it will accomplish what you purpose for it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do your work in our hearts and in our lives, shaping us, transforming us more into the image of Jesus. We ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Word of God, one of my favorite things about it, among many things, is it's so intensely real and honest. Everywhere you turn, there's this unvarnished truth about our human condition uh, that God's people get fearful and anxious. They chase after the wrong things. They stumble and fall. They experience loss. They find themselves in these hopeless situations. And as we spend time in this book, there's a strange kind of encouragement that comes to our hearts. Hey, it's, it's not just me. I'm not the only one. But the view from the Psalms is not just horizontal. It's not just comparing our human plight to others. The true wonder of the Psalms is that our struggles and our mess are revealed in light of God's faithful presence with us his promises, his sovereignty over our broken world. It's one thing to see our struggles in God's people down through the ages, how much greater that God himself meets us in our mess, that he's with us in the valleys. And when we come to God in prayer, it's not so much that our circumstances suddenly change, it's that our circumstances come into the right perspective because it's God's perspective on our life. So Psalm 42, even before it begins, there's this strange tag you might have noticed at the top, a maskil from the sons of Korah. A maskil is simply a word of wisdom, sometimes sung as part of worship. But who are these sons of Korah? Usually we think of King David as the author of most of our psalms. Well, the original Korah appears in the book of Numbers. He was a contemporary of Moses when God's people were wandering through the wilderness. But Korah began to resent Moses' leadership. 
and he, he gathered up some other disgruntled Israelites, and they had a showdown with Moses right there in the desert. Hey, who put you in charge of us? Maybe we should be the leaders. Well, ultimately, God made his views very obvious. Uh, the ground swallowed up Korah and the other rebels and their families right there. And all of Israel saw it. But in judgment, God also remembered mercy as the sons, the children of Korah were spared. And so God, in his mercy, gave these children and their descendants this beautiful, wonderful kingdom ministry. By the way, one of those descendants was Samuel. Uh, their ministry was serving in the temple in all sorts of roles as doorkeepers, as attendants, and as worship leaders. And if you think that this family history of redemption would give the sons of Korah a beautiful testimony, a spirit of humility and gratitude to the Lord, you would be right. You read their prayers, there's 11 of the Psalms written by them, and you see this authentic, loving, and trusting relationship with God, including in the difficult seasons of life. And so, kicking off with verse 1, let's read this together. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. So hearing this, you might be imagining this cool, refreshing river, you know, flowing streams. What's notable here in verse 1 is its absence. There's no water here, just a very parched, thirsty deer in a hot and weary land. And he is desperate for water. Can you remember the last time you were that thirsty? And nowadays, we just go to the sink or open the fridge or pull over to Quick Trip. But maybe you can remember a time where you didn't have water and you were just hot and exhausted and parched and thirsty, depleted. Well, that's a picture of how thirsty the psalmist is for God. How can you be that thirsty for God? There's a powerful spiritual dynamic we see in God's word, especially here in the Psalms. It's a deep longing for God in the hearts of his people. Something happens as believers when we sense and recognize our, our desperation, our dependence on God, how much we truly need him from the depths of our souls. And truth be told, I wish it wasn't this way. Usually that longing, that sense of desperation for God springs up and wells up in us during difficult times. It's like a wake-up call how much we need the Lord. It's this holy longing in God's people for what is true and what is good and what is authentic, what is of the Lord himself, as opposed to the counterfeit things of this world that were around all the time that promise us life but fail to deliver. What we're really thirsty for is the pure living water of God. But the world just keeps giving us salt water. Is that going to satisfy us? Many wise Christian authors and pastors down through the ages have said, examine the deepest longings of your heart because they're a barometer for your soul. Augustine had keen insight. Next slide, please. We'll get this here. Suspense is building. What does Augustine say? Augustine said, uh, you have made us for yourself, O God. 
and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Or as Jesus puts it, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What is your treasure in life? Where does your heart naturally gravitate? What is your deepest longing in life? What motivates you? And does it draw you toward God or pull you away from him? What we know in is in our fallen flesh, in our human nature, we don't naturally want to seek after God. We don't naturally want to humble ourselves in prayer or submit to his lordship. We tend to fill our longings with anything but God. And how's that working out for us? Well, we become restless and we become unfulfilled. It's why, and Pastor Drew has talked about this in the sermon series, when our deepest longing is for something other than God, prayer is probably going to be really frustrating and difficult for us. It just becomes another obligation or a box that we should be checking off in our lives. But when our love for God burns brightly, when he is first in our hearts, prayer becomes this joy to, to meet with and be with the living God. It's what we've been created for. Verse 2. Where can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while all day long people say to me, where is your God? Well, his tone gets a little more personal here, but notice how his longing for God leads right into heartfelt prayer. Even from this place of pain and feeling the separation, there's been a relationship of trust and confidence that has been built up between the psalmist and God. And so then when he's in a, a bad way, he naturally takes his prayers before God. In fact, this is the kind of prayer that we see throughout the Psalms. It's called lament, and we'll see the picture in a minute. There it is. In fact, about a third of the Psalms are considered prayers of lament. It's this crying out to God from the deepest valley about the sufferings and the brokenness of this world. Remember Jeremiah? His nickname was the weeping prophet. And he lived to see his prophecies about Jerusalem's destruction fulfilled before his very eyes. And he was wrecked. He was heartbroken. And he even wrote a whole book called Lamentations pouring out this grief and heartache to God in prayer. Biblical lament can be on a large scale about things like injustice or violence or suffering in our world. A lot of times, though, lament is deeply personal. It's, it's about the loss and the turmoil that we experience in our own lives. What makes lament so powerful is that deep down we know that this was not God's original purpose for creation. His purpose was for blessing. But of course, sin changed everything, including our relationship with creation, with one another, and certainly with God. And since that first sin in the garden, creation is just groaning under the weight of sin. And we're part of that groaning. Lament expresses sorrow about this broken world. It expresses sorrow about our own brokenness that we've all strayed so far from God's design. But the key to biblical lament is that it intermingles with our deep longing for God. It's praying in faith that 
he would show up in our needy and our broken lives, that he would restore what has been broken. Have you ever heard the phrase, the dark night of the soul? It's those seasons in life where God seems absent, and we just are left with a lot of questions. Maybe you've experienced a season like that. Maybe you're in a season like that right now, or you know someone who is. It can be a lonely, distressing time as we reach the end of our patience, of our human resources, of our strength to carry on. Maybe you've experienced a sudden job loss. Maybe it's ongoing financial struggles, or you received an unsettling diagnosis at the doctor. It could be a miscarriage. It could be being estranged from a loved one for a long time. Maybe it's just that the, the hopes and the dreams that you've cherished and carried for so long, you're starting to wonder if they're ever going to come true. And all those disappointments begin to take a toll on us. These things have the power to, to rattle our faith and to clash with our perception of how our lives and how God really should be. And we experience this disconnect and we lament. Well, for the psalmist here, Unfortunately, it's not just his own dark thoughts. Here come the voices of his enemies piling on, looking for an opportunity to kind of kick him when he's down. Where is this God of yours, they say? Where is he? You know, the one you put your faith in. And we know that these mockers continue because they show up in verse 9 and 10 again. A couple possible meanings here. Either that the mockers are casting doubt on God's existence. Why pray to a God that doesn't even exist? Or they're planting seeds of doubt about his goodness and his love. If you've ever suffered through a dark night of the soul, you know how susceptible we can be to both of those temptations. Does God even exist? And if he does, does he care about me? Does he see me in my misery? Verse 4. I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. A couple things about this verse. Uh, when we're in the pit, it's easy to think back, natural to think back, to remember times of joy and blessing and connection. When family was together, when our faith was vibrant, when life seemed the way it should be and God was on his throne. You can almost hear, if you listen to his words, these echoes of celebration and worship that he's remembering as he's transported back to that time. But interesting that uh, often those remembrances from the pit are not so much happy. They're more bittersweet because we feel disconnected from all that and we wonder if life going forward will ever be good again. Let me also point out how much prayer is an act of faith when we're in the valley. The psalmist is thinking back to this blessed time when he could see and feel and recognize God in his midst. What a wonderful memory. But now he can't recognize God. He's surrounded by too many problems to even see God with him. His troubles are all consuming. But in faith, he's still going to pray he's still going to trust that God is on the throne, that he's still faithful, even in his wilderness times. 
Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Verse 5, why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Here we get a clue why the psalmist might be so sad. Uh, Bible scholars believe that this prayer was actually uttered far from home, perhaps even when King David was in exile. And the sons of Korah, still very loyal to their king, went with him. And together they found themselves in the land of Jordan, far from everything they knew. And it's disorienting, it's depressing. The cry of the psalmist's heart here, and sometimes a lament is summed up in this one single word. It is why. He asks it, if you're counting, six times in this psalm. The cry of a person who doesn't understand why they're going through this. Why are they so deeply depressed? Why does God seem so far away when I need him most? Why? Have you ever spoken that word from the pit? Why me, Lord? Why is this happening? Or maybe at its most raw, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That word why, it really captures the reality of how limited we are in our own human resources. It's our inability to see the whole picture. All we can see is the darkness around us. But in prayer, by faith, it's trusting in the God who does see, who is above it all. I still remember an experience from our time living in La Crosse. Uh, we lived at the base of some bluffs that from the top overlooked the Mississippi River. And one spring morning, we woke up and there was this thick fog everywhere. You couldn't see more than a few feet ahead of you. But I had to get somewhere. And so... I was driving up this winding road to the top of the bluffs through the darkness and fog. I could barely see in front of me. All I could do was watch the, the, the white lines between me and keep my, my road on. And it was stressful. It was white knuckle. But as I kept climbing up this bluff, this warm, soft glow, this haze began to develop in front of me, becoming brighter. I hope that's not a semi coming right at me. <laughs> But just as the road reached the top of the bluff, the, the fog dissipated. And everywhere around me was this glorious blue sky and, and sunshine. But down below was still that thick, suffocating fog. And I thought of everyone down there, still unable to see a thing, while I was driving in perfect freedom. That's how I read this psalm. He's stuck deep in the valley. He can't see through the darkness and the fog, and he's miserable. But rather than giving in to his despair, he turns to God, who he knows is above it all, and who sees the whole picture. Yeah, when we're stuck in the valley, why, the word why is probably going to be part of our prayer vocabulary. And we're in good company when we ask it. Job asked why, the psalmist asked why, Jonah asked why, even Jesus from the cross asked why. Unfortunately, the answer to why doesn't always come immediately. Sometimes we ask it and the word just kind of hangs there in the fog, unanswered, even as God keeps calling us to live and to walk by faith and trust him. But something does happen 
as we continue to trust in the Lord and wait upon him, it's that God himself shows up. Or rather, we realize that he's been with us in the valley all along. And during those hard times when we can't see him, he's actually doing a slow and steady work in our hearts. He's giving us strength to bear the burden. He's surrounding us with his people for encouragement. And he's sustaining us with his grace. And maybe none of that happens without the dark valley that we've been in. Because that's when we finally recognize our desperate need for God. And we call out to him. One thing as we finish. Uh, if you look closely, the psalmist makes no requests in this entire chapter. He never asks God for anything. Well, that's different than most of my prayers. <laughs> I'm always asking God for something. And just to reassure us, that's very scriptural. Bring your requests to God. That's a huge part of prayer. But as I consider the depths of this psalmist relationship with God, what comes to mind is Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Boy, it's easy to misunderstand this verse, isn't it? Great. If I want God to give me the desires of my heart, all I have to do is, is delight myself in him, and it becomes this formula to get what I want in prayer. Well, Psalm 42 helps us understand it a lot better, that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we discover that he is the greatest desire of our hearts, that he has been all along. And it's true whether we're on the mountaintop or down in the valley, nothing else in this world can measure up. That's how the psalmist can finish in verse 11, still downcast, still disturbed in his spirit, but with confident faith, I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. That kind of prevailing prayer, it's a decision of the will that today, tomorrow, no matter what my circumstances, I will choose to praise and to trust in the Lord. I will keep clinging to God's truth, even in the darkness. He's my Savior. He's my God. And nothing in creation can separate us from his love. Amen.